Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Greg Detmeyer. Sitting next to me is guest host Kelly Simon. And since we're sitting here talking to some microphones in uh, Dubuque, Iowa at the KPEC conference, this is the Instructional Coaching Corner podcast, a live version. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. View again, day two is looking beautiful. A little drizzly out, but hey, uh, we need rain to grow stuff, right? We sure do. Kelly, we have a guest here sitting here listening to our back and forth conversation about the river and uh yeah and funny thing is unlike yesterday uh we didn't have to have a 10 minute conversation beforehand about his shoes and where he got them and where i could get them like we did yesterday with uh those amazing yellow high heels so buddy's got that going for him that no high heels, <laughs> no high Come heels. On, buddy so we have buddy barry with us today and the best thing about buddy is he is still a practicing educator knee deep in the game i am not going to tell you where i would like our listening audience to figure that out guessing in the first 10 seconds are you ready buddy so I am Buddy Berry from Eminence Schools in Eminence, Kentucky. It's a K-12 district of about 850 in the middle of central Kentucky, just outside of Louisville. And so uh, kind of a, a rural population, but just on the outside of a, a big urban center in Kentucky. That is fantastic. Buddy, uh, I want to quote you to start. The first thing I wrote down and the thing that my, my mind keeps going back to is your story about interviewing for your superintendent's job and the fact that you said, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know I'll do it harder than anyone or everyone else. Talk to me about like where that passion came from. So I was a high school math teacher, um, really with no aspiration of ever being in a central office. I think my career goal was probably to be Eminence's football coach and principal. Uh, and so we had seen um, two superintendents for the better part of um, 40 years. And so then in the five years prior to their, them hiring me, we went through six. So there was a lot of transition and change and honestly no real direction. And so kind of just out of desperation applied for the job because I really cared about it. It's my home. Um, my kids will be fifth generation alumni. I'm fourth generation alumni. And so I'd spent my educational career kind of everywhere else. And it just came back to Eminence as a teacher uh, for the two years prior to becoming superintendent. The, the cool thing when I hear your story and passion for your school is I feel a lot of times when we come into a school, if we're just we're just working at a school, we treat it as like a hotel. Like I'm here for a while, this is my stay. When you talk about your school, it's clear that's your home. Oh, and it's it? like yes. if there's something broken a hotel, it's like eh, no big deal. Someone else can fix it some other time. If it bugs me enough, I might call the desk, but I'm certainly not going to go fix it myself. But if it's a home and it's like there's something wrong here and it's broken, it's like we have to take care of it. And that rings loud and true through everything you were talking about just here at the keynote. It definitely a home, and, and it's already a home to my kids. And so, like, you, you see, one of the big things that we teach our students and staff is see a problem, fix a problem. So, like, it, it is very much like looking for things that we can improve and to get better. And so we spend a lot of our time doing that. So on that, you talked in great detail, and I know this will probably be the sped up version. Um, you talked about these three beliefs that that whole see a problem, fix a problem, innovation, and just really being that school on fire uh, that eminence is. Talk to us, if you can, about those those beliefs that you have and then instill in the people and really not your, just your school, but your community. Sure. 
The School on Fire, which is kind of the motto we branded, is the framework of innovation for reinventing education. And so a lot of people, actually, when we first started it, I mean, we were just 450 students in the middle of nowhere. When it started to work, uh, the Kentucky Department of Education called and was like, you probably need to change that name. Like, we're afraid, like, it's too strong. Like, and I said, well, we didn't do it for you. We, we, you know, we did it for our community. And so, like, the reason we did come up with, like, an identity was, like, the bat symbol almost. Like, like we needed it to be more than just a single change or idea. We wanted it to almost be a, a mindset shift. And so the three big things that drive it. So, like, it's not the X's and O's of how we pull it off, but it's what creates the atmosphere and the culture for which it to thrive is three key beliefs. The first being um, surprise and delight. Uh, and surprise and delight is where um, you just basically take your school, your environment, the classroom, the lessons, and you just say, how do I make this awesome, right? So like, how do I take something that's normally this and then take it and enrich it to a level? Uh, and, and one way we sum it up is we want to be the Disney world of education. So like, I don't think anybody personalizes an experience any better than Disney in terms of uh, even how you wait in line, even uh, based on um, you know, they've got the new magic bands that are RFID technology. Well, they're studying how long after you get off of a ride that you're lingering in a gift shop. So, like, they're personalizing every ounce of your experience um, as, a, as a user. So then how do we do that for schools? How do we personalize every bit of the learning, um, the classroom engagement, and then how do we crank that up to awesome? Could you give some of the examples of um, surprise and delight? Yeah, and so like surprise and delight in the outside world. Like if you were just looking at it from um, a non-educated perspective, it might be like hotels that serve cookie service. It may be, um, it may be that you see a cool trick. I, I saw a thing last week where it's a, a corn on the cob sheller. You know, like where you just like run it down, and then I like eating my corn on the cob off the cob because I had braces for five years. Right? Yeah. So like, so like this thing decobs corn in like a half a second. So like that's a surprise and delight. So like they're, they're, we're surrounded by these people that take like normal mundane everyday stuff and then like figure out a way to make it better or awesome. So in, in school, the way we've done it with our lessons is kind of like a one to four scale. So like a level one uh, surprise and delight would be like um, a reward. So you're gonna get a little extra recess. You're gonna get a donut. You're gonna get a bubble gum. You're gonna get a cookie. You're gonna get um, a sticker. Those those are all great, but that's not necessarily impacting instructional change. So like a level four surprise and delight, I was walking down a hallway uh, recently and I, it was a history class, but it didn't sound like a history class. So I wheeled back around and the teacher had spent all weekend turning it into like a speakeasy. Like, and so like made it very like centric to the time that she was using and talking about. And so like they were enacting and living out, that's a level four surprise and delight. Um, Kentucky loves horses. Uh, I was walking around uh, an elementary hallway the other day and they were talking about like, um, I forget, but it was farming and ag and it was tied to a math lesson of all things. And rather than talk about the horse, here was a horse out on the outside with its head in the classroom through the window. That's a level four surprise and delight. So like, um, and, and honestly, it's kind of addictive and we've created some systems in place to like make that happen. So we start every staff meeting with like sharing teacher surprise and delight lessons that either they've submitted or administrators have seen. Uh, another thing is we award the surprise and delight most fun teacher of the month. So like every month the PTSA gives us $50 to give to the teacher that has the, the best surprise and delight lesson. And so like for a PTSA, it's the best investment ever. So like you give 50 bucks and you ensure that 30 to 40 lessons 
are awesome for this for your kids and so um, we do that different ways sometimes it's drawing them out of a hat like everybody that did one submits it sometimes it's a, a panel sometimes it's a Google Doc so like we really mix up how we award it but the essence is we do honor and value surprise and delight that that is awesome and when I was listening to your keynote one of the things I thought of that I kept coming back to I'm, I'm one of the people who I have an idea and it's like man it just doesn't fit the norm and so many great ideas and I think people in general have great ideas and it doesn't fit the norm or it's seen as different and like the idea just dies yeah or it sounds like your culture it's like you have some crazy idea and it can amp up the lesson green light go for it yes. do it it's the expectation that yes. dude why wouldn't you do this um yes. and it's really shifting that mold from kind of like the classic nope the kids are gonna sit here I'm gonna stand here and, and you're gonna listen I'm the expert it's a struggle to get there. I know even as I've been in a situation where I have that green light and at our school, in elementary school, we're a very tech-savvy school, I feel, or we have a lot of, a pretty nice social media presence, and it's always myself and my principal like posting the pictures out there. And earlier on in the year, it's like, man, it'd be cool if maybe the kids should be doing this, and maybe we can have the kids telling the story. It took like a few months, but it's like, why do we just say that? Let's actually do that. And by the and end of the year, they did. So one of the surprises and delights at Eminence is starting in kindergarten, we have the tweeter of the day. Just like a line leader, just like the caboose, just like the engine, a kid does a 140 character, used to be, uh, reflection on their day. And yeah. then teachers do it different ways. So some classes, it'll be a different kid every day. Some classes, it's like all of you do a 140 character reflection, and then I'm going to hand, like, hand draw one. But it, the essence is reflections occurring, and, and parents are more apt to, to follow along with that classroom. Where these kids are tweeting from is to like a population of 50. You know, like it's that parents from from that year, but it's still awesome. Yeah, and seeing them tell their story and awesome. share what's going on in the school and seeing like, here's a social media platform, here's how we can use it for something productive. Yeah, and what you just said, it's kind of like our second big tenet, which is how do we start to think differently about school? So like, like, how does school look differently now than 10 years ago, than 20 years ago, than 150 years ago? And so part of it is, is um, you know, we think of it, we call it prescribed learning. So like, how do we go and start prescribing the learning down to every student? And so we do that not only through best practice, but also through next practice. Like I think standards-based grading is essential. That's not something that's sexy. It's not something that's cool. It's not kids doing a patent or an invention, but like if we don't know what they're working on and what they need next, how can we personalize the whole experience? And so, um, so it's, it's that integration of best and next practice and how do we do that in a, in a next practice form? I, and I love the, the connection to that when you were explaining it in the keynote, that whole idea of when we start thinking of things differently, especially solving our problems, it, it does sometimes, our, our ideas sometimes get that, wait, what, what, what? Look, where people might look at you, especially if you're pitching it to your principal, your superintendent, yeah. something like that. And those, that to create an environment where even if in the moment it takes the parties walking away from each other, thinking through it, penciling some things out. But regardless, those are the ideas. The environment allows for those ideas to even not only be spoken, but even be thought of. And we've seen amazing teacher and student ideas from kids being published authors to kids creating. I've seen kids do design their own 
uh, motorized wheelchair for a special needs kid for $400 when I thought it was going to take 15 to 20,000. I've seen them raise $20,000 for a service animal as a seventh grader. Like when you create the atmosphere for big ideas to take place and you almost encourage them and honor them, it's addictive. And so um, we call it a blue lobster idea. And so uh, a blue lobster is a naturally occurring animal that is one out of two million. So one out of two million lobsters are blue, like royal blue. And so um, we, we are, how, how do we foster an environment where we can catch these one in a million ideas more often? And so, um, and, and that's the, crea- the, the atmosphere that we've kind of helped create. Absolutely. And even, even bigger picture as like a country and like humanity, if you think of like Amazon, like the idea of having packages shipped to you 10, 12 years ago in the manner it is now, this is a completely radical idea. And if, like, Jeff Bezos would have went through a school and it was like, nope, we're going to hammer that out of you and you're going to fit in the box and you're going to play the game how we play the game, all these great innovations like Apple and Amazon and Google, they wouldn't, they wouldn't happen. True, yeah. So one of the things I really liked, and you said it during the Belief 2 Thinking Differently section, was... Um, about standardized testing, and it went something along like the test affects us four days in May. So, so where I think the people that, so let's say we're performing um, our model, I'll give you the model of, of our belief. So, it's continual growth for 13 years. So, standardized testing by nature is comparative results against everybody else. So, so it's just how am I doing versus everybody else in Kentucky. So, in third grade, we go and we cram third grade content because I'm gonna be held accountable for third grade testing as a teacher. So then they go to fourth grade, what's the fourth grade teacher gonna cram? They're gonna create fourth grade content because they're gonna be held accountable for fourth grade. Not, and, and, and the problem is my children go into fourth grade ready for fourth grade. But there's a lot of kids that don't get all of third grade in in third grade and so they have this gap and so then in fifth grade we cram fifth grade and there's this other gap and i think we almost create the gaps with the kids that aren't ready to move on so what we've done is we say okay we're going to teach as hard as we can teach and then when they go to fourth grade we're going to share all the data of what these kids know and can do we're going to hand it to the fourth grade teacher and say look these are here they're ready to go these are not here these need still these third grade concept and it's a continual growth so our elementary is in like the 50th percentile to 60th percentile which when i first started the model we were in the fourth percentile so we're doing lots better but also that may be our ceiling right so because we're never going to be able to compete head to head with somebody that's just cramming but then by middle school our kids are in the 70th to 80th percentile because it's comparative data Who's the best teachers in our district? For a long time, it's been our elementary. Uh, And so it's been the other, the middle and high that's having to catch up. But our scores were better in middle. And then by high school, they were in the 90th to 95th percentile. What did that? What's comparative data? Our kids had less holes. It's not necessarily that the high school was that rock star at the time. It's the fact that we just had less gaps in our learning when they got there and it was head-to-head data. I, that That's amazing. And we need to all shift our thinking into not being so selfish in our schools or in our classrooms and think that this is all that it's about. I, I, I need to see these results right now this year because I need to know my impact now. We know students, people learn at all different rates. Our impact, where we really need to see it, is when they're gone from us. 
and that whole idea of this is a 13-year growth and you had an impact on those scores as they left us and not only those scores obviously but who they are as people and what they are going to become that's where we need to look yeah it's almost like the current model we think too small absolutely like that it's just this one year and then our job is done Mm -hmm. but it's like the continuous growth the only thing we can't do is once they finish 12th grade it's over i mean like that's kind of the last summative like are they life ready at the end of 12th grade um and so i mean that's where we view the finish line so we we consider everything up to that point formative so one way that we have um really tried to think differently about that not only with the testing system but is adding in the intersection of the skills that we want them to possess outside of content knowledge and so what is the whole kid look like so we created a graduate profile so those things it's eight critical attributes that range from like philanthropy to contribution to perseverance to um like um communication and so we've we've created that for eminence but and and people had done that eight years ago but it was probably less than five percent of schools So the one that I feel like we're the first school in America to really tackle was, what does it mean to communicate in kindergarten? What does it mean to contribute in kindergarten? What does it mean in second grade to be a creator? And so we went and mandated three standards for all eight. So we have 24 additional standards. We did that through really a yes and concept, which is our belief three. And so it was figuring out how do you take the traditional model and add in these other attributes that we really care about. And so like to get out of first grade, they have to be able to do coding and AutoCAD and lead lessons and speak in front of peers and and community. So like we've built this 24 standards in. So we did it for the first two years based on a reward structure where we said, hey, we're just gonna give you slide tickets and free ball game passes, snow cones, field trips. And about 70% of our students did it for that. The problem was how do you reach the other 30%? So our board went and said, okay, you have to meet the minimum standards for this to pass that grade in addition to passing the grades for math, science, social studies, and English. So we have had kids go to summer school for contribution. We've had kids go to summer school for perseverance. Like, like those are equally as important in our district as the actual core classes themselves. Um, and so that's really um, kind of a highlight of our, our yes and philosophy and, and kind of saying that there is no, you know, we don't believe that there's ever a no. Like, like we can solve any problem. We had two laptop computers in the district eight years ago, and now we have 1,200 devices for 850 students. So like, we did that all internal, no outside funding. Um, we created the first Wi-Fi school bus in Kentucky. Some people think America, right? So we did that through yes and thinking. You know, we, we were like, all right, we, we need to figure out we have a device on the bus. Kids are driving an hour to college. Uh, we started the first early college program on a college campus, and we did it at the most prestigious university in Kentucky. It's $50,000 a year. Kids go totally free. So they earn a full year minimum of college for free. We did it through yes and thinking. So you, that, that ability to say, we're going to solve this, Um, And we start that with blue sky brainstorming. So it's basically coming up with solutions without reality. So like, let's solve the, if you could solve this any way you want to solve it, don't take into account resources, money, expertise, how would you solve it? And you're, it's surprising how often that blue sky session can lead to a solution. Could you talk a little, so you mentioned the Wi-Fi bus and I feel a great example was the story you talked about, um, 
how you helped other people get some Wi-Fi. Yeah, one to one seven years ago. And so um, the problem was we're about 70% free and reduced lunch at the time. Now we're closer to 65 because we have people drive an hour in to go to school there. But about 70% free and reduced lunch at the time, 22% homeless. And so we had the devices, we had the content moved online, but we had very little internet access for those students. And in all transparency, that's changed somewhat in the past year or so because uh, phones now have the hotspot feature. So like like that, that has changed this need but six years ago was a huge need and so we fought with E-Rate for three to four years on how do we get the Wi-Fi from our school sent out to our town and they were they just said no like there was no way to do it and then that one night it hit me that they couldn't tell me where to park the Wi-Fi school buses so we parked the Wi-Fi school buses in the housing projects with the broadband internet going at nighttime uh, to provide access for those kids we, we would park it outside the clubhouse and so then they could come to the clubhouse and a lot of the apartments it reached from there i think that just shows that we're not taking no for an answer and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna think outside the box and we're going to to make it work well for us one of the things that has been um key is people say well where do i start right and 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 honestly it starts somewhere right so it's like get a vision of what you want school to look like what you think it can be watch videos look up innovative schools and ideas go to conferences like this like at kpec like go and be exposed to innovative ideas and then pick some of it and just start trying some of it like and will it all work no but but whatever you end up giving the kids will make it better off than they are right now and so i think sometimes as educators we plan for two years well that by that point you're so invested in your plan that you're not willing to change the plan when it doesn't work. So really the, 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 the secret ingredient is to start trying it and then be willing to change it and, and to tweak it if it's not going the way you want it to go. Yeah, just jump in and do something. Yes. Well, yeah. and I think one more thing, you, you did not get the delight of hearing a lot of um, Dr. Barry's home or own, his own children's stories. And if you follow him on Twitter and different things like that, like or find him at a conference, go and listen, because that's really where the magic is, which is one more last point. If if it's not that you can't come up with the vision by by doing all of those things that that Dr. Barry just uh, used as an example, at least start listening to the little people around you. So many of his ideas have have come from inspiration from the kids in his own house and the students in his own classroom just Stop saying no to them and, and, and let them go. Awesome. And a very cool insight that nobody, I've never heard anybody connect, but yes. And then the other part is it's a question we ask our teachers all the time. Are kids running to your class or are they running from your class? And so like, it, it, and, and honestly, it tends to be one or the other. And so uh, we definitely want our kids wanting to be at school. Yeah. So you drew a lot of inspiration from your kids yes. and your stories. So I feel like I need to share because you mentioned that um, a surprise and delight of yours was number four. And uh, funny enough, our surprise and delight was number four and five oh, at the gosh. same time. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure we got a lot of learning actually already happening. Like, How old are they? Um, the twins are almost two. In a month, oh, they'll be night. two. But a lot of our mini cast, we do these little like 10-minute segments of just here's a quote or here's something a crazy kid said come from 
things my kids have said or done, you yeah. know. I want to thank you for being here, taking the time to do this. I know you have a busy schedule, and I think you've slept, it sounds like, four hours in the last two or three days or whatnot. So, And I thank you, Kelly, for uh, stepping in and helping out. Thank you, Jenny, for, for leaving the role vacant for a couple days again this year so I could fulfill my passion. And you know she's, like, all nervous. I know. She thinks I'm sneaking in. And she should be, maybe. <laughs> so... Again, thank you, Barry. Thank you for having um, me. As we leave, hey, check out our website, iccpodcast.com. Leave us some listener mail. You can find our past shows there. Uh, you can find our social media tabs, Twitter and Facebook there as well. And as always, as we leave, ask yourself, what one thing could I do tomorrow that will make me a better version of myself? Then wake up and do it, because greatness isn't achieved by one event, but instead a series of small, intentional steps. Go be awesome.